0: My special guest today is a bona fide Sun Hill legend, an original cast member who was with the series from the very beginning. He's also an acclaimed writer and director and leading figure in British theatre. Colin Blumenau, welcome to The Build Podcast. Thank you. (laughs) What a builder. (laughs) And we're here at Production Exchange. Would you mind explaining, paint the scene for our listeners as to where we are now?
1: sounds very grand, but it's not. We're in a little underground office in Islington, surrounded by boxes of champagne and uh, (laughs) bits of computer paper and pictures on the wall. Uh, The Production Exchange is, it's a serious endeavour actually. It's a charity whose sole purpose is to introduce people to the world of work in our industry. So we try and bridge the gap by supporting people and working with people between training and the world of work. It's a massively exciting thing to be able to do now that I've spent, oh my god, nearly 40 years in the industry and the industry's been good enough to me to allow me to do it and nothing else to earn my bread. Uh, And so it's about time at the ripe old age of 153, whatever (laughs) I am, at least offer some experience and if there's any skill and knowledge there as well, then that's helpful.
0: And in this day and age of technology and and the internet being at everyone's fingertips, do you think it's easier or harder now for young professionals to try and break into this industry?
1: I think there's a temptation for every generation to look at the next generation and go, oh, it's really even harder for you than it was for us. And to be truthful, I don't really know. There are an awful lot of young actors around. Mm. Uh, there are an awful lot of young actors around when I was a young actor. But I, I, I tend to think we all go through roughly the same process. It was it was a bit different, I suppose, in my day, <laughs> because uh, the whole thing was very heavily unionised and you couldn't work without a union card. Now, that's all gone, mm. thanks to dear Mrs. T. Uh, we no longer have that as an obstacle for, for young actors to have to surmount. So anybody can claim that they're an actor and they can register on the various industry websites that you need to in- to register yourself on. And there you go. Uh, the good ones float, the bad ones disappear without trace. They're just an awful lot of them. Mm. But my sense is it's probably not that different from mm. how it was when I was young.
0: Because you're so involved in not just directing plays but writing plays, you're working with young people all the time.
1: Yeah, I'm surrounded by young people. <laughs> yeah. uh, And most of the time, it's brilliant because there's no opportunity for me to be an old fart about things, although I try really hard to be an old fart (laughs) about things. Uh, The reality is that everything changes and it changes all the time. And if you don't keep up, then you tend to get stuck in the mud. Mm. And because I'm surrounded all the time by people who want to make an impact now want to earn their living now i have to know about now rather than living off or trading off any success there's been in the past
0: and uh, i think your latest production on might write coming up is aladdin you, oh yeah, yeah yeah
1: Panto. panto coming up at sutton coalfield in uh, in the west midlands which we've done for two years now uh, and that's exciting yeah most of my life now is about working with young actors, uh, trying to help them get into work without me producing the work. And I do a lot of directing in drama schools as well. Mm. Uh, Again, working with students to uh, offer what knowledge and experience I have to let them benefit from
0: it. And how did your journey begin and who did you have in your corner when when you discovered the, the acting bug? Gosh, that's interesting.
1: Um my journey began, mmm, I really wanted to be a jockey. Wow. That's what I really wanted to be when I was a teenager. And then I grew too big, and I got a bit frightened of it. And so I didn't do that. And then I discovered, mm, yeah, theatre I suppose. But I never really wanted to be an actor, not really. Uh, I always wanted to direct theatre because I thought uh, bossing people about rather than doing it uh, was uh, more interesting. Uh, And in order to do that, I had to serve my apprenticeship as a a stage manager, Mm. which I did for about a year. Goodness, this is back in the very early 1980s. And I ended up at the Royal Shakespeare Company for a year doing some uh, amazing things that people still talk about now. Not me, the shows were amazing. Yeah. Uh, I did uh, a production of Nicholas Nickleby, which everybody remembers, or certainly everybody of my age remembers. And I did uh, 12 short Greek plays directed by a man called John Barton, which were just amazing. Uh, and I remember having, I'm gonna do one bit of name dropping. Oh, yes, please. Okay. So I remember having a conversation with Billy Whitelaw, who was in one of the shows, and she said to me, what the fuck are you doing being a stage manager? You don't enjoy it. You're not much good at it. Go out and do something proper and and go and get yourself some directing work. And so I, I took that to heart. Uh, but before I could get any directing work, somebody offered me some acting work because as it happened, they were looking to cast... Uh, a young man who could play the trumpet, which I could. Wow. And that's how my acting career started. Wow.
0: What was your family's take on it? Did this seem, was this out of the, whether it's anything in the jeans performing No, or nothing at
1: all. <laughs> <laughs> my father made ladies' underwear. Oh, wow. My mother was, uh, together, my, my parents were quite influential people because they were the two of the founder members of Amnesty. And so they were kind of, they were liberal, expat German Jews who came to this country and wanted to make a difference. And for them, the arts, in its very broadest sense, were things to be celebrated. So the idea of going into theatre was something that they both welcomed, although my father did say, if you're going to be an actor, I'll pay for you to train to do something else as well. And so he paid for me to be a lorry driver, uh, wow. which uh, I used for the first couple of years uh, when I was doing bits and pieces of acting. When I wasn't acting, I was driving lorries up and down the motorways.
0: Wow. I suppose time to learn your lines. Well, it? no, I suppose that's one way of looking at it. Most
1: of the time, it was uh, sitting, cursing the fact that I wasn't getting auditions, and you know, doing what every young actor does and cursing their agent for not getting them the auditions.
0: Well, I suppose it's quite nice but the fact you had wanted to be a jockey, but your first regular role in it was a series called Jockey School. Am I right? You're right. You're right. That was my first television.
1: Wow. Gosh, you have done your research. <laughs> the BBC were doing a series for children's television about a young female jockey. And uh, they got special dispensation from Equity, the Actors' Union, to cast real stable lads in the other roles. In fact, all all the young people, everybody, even including the girl, were jockeys first and performers second. And the story goes, I don't know if it's right, this. I suppose it must be, because I I wouldn't have made it up. They took a whole load of jockeys, not me... uh, Sorry, a whole load of actors, not me, uh, down to Lambourne, where they made the series, when they were casting it. And they said to all these actors, who said they could ride horses, here are some horses, get on them and ride them, and of course, mayhem ensued. <laughs> and, and so they, they got this dispensation from Equity, uh, which said that they could use non-unionised um, stable lads and lasses to, to be in the show. And then one of them broke their leg, not falling off a horse, which would have been correct, but <laughs> uh, playing football, uh, and uh, there was a panic. And it, as it happened, and this is, this happens all the time. Coincidence just kind of happens. What happened was that the the location manager said to the producer, "Oh, I know a young actor who is actually a proper racehorse rider." And they said, "Oh, bring him down and we'll we'll test him." I haven't told this story for years. <laughs> I've not just remembered it. <laughs> Oh, goodness. They took me down to Lambourne and the the racing advisor was an ex-jockey called Richard Pittman who used to be one of the racing commentators for BBC after he retired. And he said to me, here's a horse, get on it and ride up the gallops, turn round, gallop up, jump these three fences and stop. And I went, okay. And I got on this horse and it was huge, absolutely huge, uh, but it was like riding or sitting in an armchair. The horse knew absolutely what to do and I had to do nothing except it up the gallops, turn it around, gallop it back and jump over these three fences. Uh, and it was, it was kind of blissful because I, I really didn't have to do anything. And he, he, uh, he, when I got back to him, he said, great, get down. And so I got down, and he said, yeah, no, you'll do, that's okay. Do you know what you've just done? And I, went, well, I've just, you know, galloped and jumped. He said, yeah, do you know what on? And I said, no, no. He said, that's Crisp. And Crisp was the first horse that red rum beat in the Grand National.
0: No way. <laughs>
1: yeah. so I, I kind of rode that horse. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that's how that happened.
0: What an, what an introduction to television, I Yeah, sound. no, it, it, was, it was blissful.
1: And then we spent six months shooting this thing in, in Lambourne. It never saw the light of day more than
0: once, so they did one series of it, and I think that was it. I don't think it was desperately popular. It um, must have been a very exciting time in your life, you know. No, to, it's a great thing to do, yeah. I mean, you know, you get paid for doing the thing you love. Yeah. Uh, well, two of the things you love, yeah. acting and riding horses. And it wasn't long after that that you were cast in Woodentop. So what, what are your memories of joining Woodentop? Well, again, it was, um, it,
1: it was a peculiar coincidence, really. I was in Wales making a film about the composer Mendelssohn. And the only reason I was there... Was because, uh, it was the first film ever made, the first drama ever made for the Welsh Channel 4. Oh, yeah. And the only reason I went up there was because they wanted somebody who could ride a horse, play the piano and speak German. All of which, three things, I happened to be able to do. Wow. Uh, and um, so I was up there and I was there for a long time making this film. And the whole shoot was conducted in Welsh. Yeah, because it was for the Welsh Channel 4, the whole crew was Welsh, all the rest of the cast was Welsh. I was the only non-Welsh speaker in the thing. And I remember thinking, after a few weeks, this is ridiculous, the only word I recognise is cut. (laughs) I suppose they must have said action as well. uh, uh, And I, I said to the wardrobe mistress, who was called... Eleanor Wigley who was David Wigley's wife and she, David Wigley was the leader of Plaid Cymru wow. at the time uh, and I said to her will you teach me some basic Welsh and so every, every day when I wasn't shooting uh, she would teach me little bits and pieces of Welsh and I learned how to do it and this is such a long-winded story but uh, halfway through that film I got a call to go to London to uh, to to uh, get to this casting for a new police series, and I walked into the room, and I'm sure I heard them go, "No, not him, not him," and uh, because I was up for the same part as Mark Wingett originally, ah. and they went, "No, no, not him," and I heard them say that, and I went in and sat down, and I thought, right, well, there's nothing, nothing doing here. And we talked for a bit and they said, look, really, you're not, you're just not right for the part that we uh, we, 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 wanted to see you for. And I went, okay. <laughs> and they said, uh, it was Peter Grishin, he said, uh, can you do anything else? And I said, well, I can speak Welsh. And they went, oh, really? <coughs> can you? And I said, yes, I can. And they went, well, that's very interesting to know. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to read anything. I didn't have to speak in Welsh. I just told them I spoke Welsh and I went away. And the next day they offered me a job that lasted me seven years.
0: Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. I love it. And it's just the way- it, the That's way it got ends. to be fast fate, isn't it, really? I suppose so. That's fantastic. And yeah. What are your memories of, of making the, the Wooden Top pilot? It was a hot summer and we shot it in Teddington.
1: I remember being... Oh, yeah, here you are. Here you are. Here's a story for you. <laughs> Another one I'm dragging up from nowhere. So the original detective was Robert Pugh. Yeah. Can't remember what his character was called. He was the original Galloway. Yeah. Galloway. That's right. Oh, yeah. John Slaughter has his part. Uh, Galloway. That's right. And uh, for those people who don't know, Bob is Welsh, properly Welsh. And we went through the the rehearsal period and he said nothing about it. And I was there doing Welsh and he was there doing Brummie. (laughs) Uh, And we both did our own individual bits. And then the first shot in studio after rehearsals, and we rehearsed it for quite a long time, a week or two maybe. Uh, uh, The first shot in studio was me and Peter Dean uh, at the front desk doing Morning Surge, you know, all of that stuff stuff that you do on the front desk. And uh it was my first ever studio. I'd never been inside a studio before. And wow. I was terrified. I was terrified. And and just before we were about to shoot, Bob walked in. You know, I just, I just wanted to talk to Colin a minute. And so he came to me and he went, like um, right, uh you're not actually gonna do it in that bloody stupid accent, are uh, you? Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> and walked off.
0: <laughs> oh. and that was, that was my introduction <laughs> to
1: the world of studio television
0: well my, my wife and I couldn't believe that you that you weren't genuinely Welsh because I mean, it's phenomenal I, I mean I lived in Clandidno for three years as a buddy but it, you weren't it's weird it's, it, it's just I
1: was, I was in the, radio, the BBC radio repertory company for uh, about a year and that's the best training for any actor who wants mm. to do Stupid voices, you know. Wow. Or or accents. Uh, you have to do a different one every day. Yeah. And Welsh was just one that, that stuck. Mm. And it served me well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I've done a lot of Welsh. <laughs> I've worked more in Wales and in Welsh than I have in England. You really have. Wow. Bizarrely. As an actor. As an actor. But also as a director. I've worked a lot in Wales as a director. Which is odd, because I have no connection with the place at all. Wow. Although I love it. For all you Welsh listeners out there, I love it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so when when did you realise that this was going to come back in as a series? And can you remember any react? Because you know very positive reaction with the, the critics to Wooden Top. Can you remember that period and when, when you suddenly thought, well, oh, hang on a minute, because there's no guarantee you were going to yeah, get no, into I it. I
1: do remember because uh, everybody was very excited. They said, I can't remember when they said, but there was a certain amount of excitement because... Wooden Top was one of, I think, five pilots in a little series of pilots, and the other one was the, the, the fire engine one, London's Burning. So they made those two. They made the bill, they made London's Burning. I think that's what it was, anyway. <laughs> and there was a, a degree of excitement around, oh, are they going to, are they, or are they not going to? They did. They commissioned, I think, 12 of them mm. uh, for the f- following year. There's a degree of nervousness, I seem to remember, because I wasn't sure that my character was going to continue. But then I was told he was going to continue, but he was going to be renamed (laughs) because they thought he was too Welsh. (laughs) So he was originally called Morgan and then they turned him into Taffy Edwards, (laughs) uh, which was odd. And then I remember reading through the first five five or six scripts. And he died. There was a, there was a warehouse collapse yeah. and he was killed oh. in the scripts. And uh, I thought, oh, well, at least I'll get five episodes out of it. And they were quite nice episodes, I seem to remember. And then after about... So, so I, I thought, right, I'm, I'm not part of the regular cast. I'm just doing these first five. Uh, it may have been fewer, it may have been more, I can't remember. And then I, I remember sitting in the canteen one day and we used to call him the Commander.
0: Michael, Michael
1: Chap- Chapman. Michael
0: <laughs> Chapman. He said, uh,
1: I, I need to talk to you. I need to talk, he didn't call me Blumenau, but he nearly called me Blumenau. <laughs> I, I need to talk to you. And uh, I said, oh, okay, <laughs> what have I done wrong? <laughs> And he said, well, we've decided that the people like you, and so we're not going to kill you, we're just going to injure you instead. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, i got how many more years of, yeah. of, of of work out of it.
0: And it's quite, it, it looks like you do the stunt yourself.
1: Uh, I didn't... I mean, hmm. I did the falling through the floor bit, but I didn't do the actual fall,
0: Right, I seem to remember. Okay, yeah, because the camera follows you as you're running around, and then you see your foot go through the floor, and then it cuts to underneath, but you you do see... Yeah, I I went through the floor and they built up boxes, Right. so I did the whole
1: coming through the floor, but yes, when they shot it from below, they used the stuntman to do that bit. But that's the only time they ever used the stuntman for me. Yeah. Because uh, I did some other stupid things and did them, yeah, did them myself. Because it seemed silly to uh, get
0: somebody else to do them. Do you remember Taffy's line when they find you alive? I do actually, because uh, it
1: became something of a piece of folklore with my children. It's ha- anybody got a
0: plaster? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It they must. Re- they been... remember it. Oh, wonderful it must have been very exciting for you all to be, you know, making, you know, this is your biggest job to date, and you, you know, what a compliment. They're going to kill a character and say no. Yeah, no, it was nice, and uh, we were very
1: pleased because it meant we could pay the mortgage. Yeah. I I think what what could be better than to do a job like that and get paid for
0: it. Mm. And what your, who were your main pals of the cast? Who did you, who were you particularly close to from the early days?
1: Well, um... Trudy has always been a mate, and then Dear Roger Leach, oh, yeah. uh, who I love dearly, uh, and worked with subsequently in the theatre. Uh, those are the two people I seem to remember we all got on. I don't remember there being much yeah. Yeah. aggravation.
0: Roger played vulnerable so beautifully, I think. he.
1: He was a very, very fine actor. Mm.
0: But but actually, the series
1: was full of really good actors, I think. Uh, Certainly, at the beginning, I didn't watch it. I'm I'm not saying that because I thought they were bad at the end. Absolutely not. Mm. Uh, Because I I just stopped watching it because I was busy doing other stuff. Uh, But certainly, at the beginning, I thought some of the acting was... And some of the guest acting was terrific as well. Because the whole premise of the thing was that The story was told from our point of view, as the police, so we looked at the guests. Mm. So there there were episodes which you featured in quite heavily, but actually most of it was from your point of view, so you didn't get seen. Which I thought was... It was based on the same techniques as they used in Hill Street Blues. That was, I think, what informed it. It was all handheld, on the shoulder, single camera stuff at the beginning. Mm. Certainly until we started doing the half hours. You very rarely saw two cameras. Mm. So everything was kind of handheld. And when when there was a chase, the poor camera person had to yeah, keep stick up with this you. huge Ikigami camera on their shoulder and chase after the actors. There was a lovely cameraman called Roly. Luca. Roly Luca, that's him. Uh, who uh, was tremendous, really tremendous, and understood absolutely what what the ethos of the programme was, and tried to make it as
0: oh, realistic. Who knows if it's realistic, but as as real as it can possibly be. Mm. And where were you living at the time Did, when you were commuting to Wapping? What was what was your daily routine? And gosh,
1: I was living in Northwest London because we had a house there. And then, I can't remember when the dates happened, but we moved out of London into the country because uh, I wanted to keep horses, Ah. Uh, and we wanted to bring the children up outside of London. My eldest son was about three and he was born in 84, so in 87 we moved out. Oh right, okay. So I think whopping we were in London, but when we moved to Balby Road in, in Labyrinth Grove then it was, then I think that's when I was out of London.
0: While we're talking about, you know, Roger's no longer with us and neither is Gary Olsen. What are your memories of Gary?
1: Well, Gary was, I think, in one series or two series? Yeah, one. One one series. He was, um, I was always scared of Gary. Oh, really? I was scared of Gary and I was scared of Mark. (laughs) Uh, I got very used to Mark, of course, because I worked with him a lot. But I, I never quite got used to Gary. They they had the quadrifonia thing because uh, they both they were both although they were I don't know if they were younger or older than I was probably well, probably about the same, but they'd been in the industry as actors a lot longer than I had because I farted about God's University and all of that sort of stuff, <laughs> and I was a little bit in awe of them. Mm. and uh, they, they I, I suppose then it was a I've never really thought about this in any any way but it was a class thing as well uh, much more pronounced then than it is now but I came from a, a fairly affluent middle class family mm. and they obviously came from working class stock mm. and I think I I felt that, and being like I am, I kind of mm, uh, gave myself a hard time about it. Right. Felt a bit guilty about my upbringing, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. So, so the, uh, the idea of these two, what I thought were rather hard young men, mm. uh, doing the same job as me,
0: yeah. uh, I felt a little bit inferior about it all. Wow. Mm. Oh, cool! We have got great chemistry with them. I mean, it's... oh yeah, no, no, we all liked each other. Yeah, well yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely.
1: But that there was definitely a it wasn't a a, a divide or anything. But there, you know there was a difference between mm. Mark and and Gary because the four uniform officers in in the um, pilot and certainly in the first few episodes of of the series were. Trudy and Mark, Gary and me. Yeah. We were the only four. Yeah. And then they built around that. Yeah, and, and of course Eric who was Cryer. Yeah. And then Peter in the um in the pilot, Peter Dean in the pilot. Mm. And I don't I don't think Nula came on until
0: slightly later. Yeah, Nula and Robert Houghton and Robert Jeff Hunt, Stewart. Yeah. They were, the all, National, they were yeah, all down the line a bit. Bigged them up. They all had like a line or two each and then...
1: I think certainly Rob started doing, you know, very little bits mm. and then became a character. Same with uh, Graham Cole. Yes. He started off doing, I think, extra bits yeah. and then got turned into a, a speaking character. There was certainly, right at the beginning, there were there were four uniformed junior officers. Yeah. There was Gary and Mark and the intruder. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how it, it <laughs> kind <of> split down.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Well, when the second series came along, it, it, I feel that the writers started to enjoy, I, I interviewed Christopher Russell who wrote some fine stuff for you and um, yeah, he, did. he uh, I said, did you particularly enjoy giving Taffy a hard time? Because there's an episode called This Little Pig, which you probably remember. Remember? I do, I do remember it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Taffy has a bit of a bad day in that in that episode. Um, starting off trying to catch this pig, which uh, must, yeah must have been quite an experience. to Actually, film with a live pig. We did and, film with a live yeah. pig. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, we did. <laughs> we did. We did. We did an episode about pigs, and we did an episode about chickens. Yeah, the one about chickens. I, I can't remember if there were live chickens. I, I think there probably were. God, I don't, I'm sure you wouldn't be allowed to do that now. But the pig, yeah, we, we shot it all in the East End. And I think we used Mud Chute Farm for That's it. That's right. And then I remember... Yeah, I remember chasing this pig. Luckily I like animals, so there, was, there wasn't a problem. Uh, and oh. Ralph Brown was it. Yeah, Ralph Brown. Bastard. <laughs> Uh, cleaning out a van and shoveling real pig shit all over me. Yeah, no, I remember that one. There was something about taffy and animal shit that the the
0: writers seemed to like. Yes, and then in the same episode you're giving a fur protester a breakfast and she chucks the tray all over you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Ah, and now that, that character was played by Fidelis Morgan. Yes. And she became somebody incredibly eminent in my field. Oh, wow. So she's a massive uh, uh, academic in terms of pre-Victorian theatre and particularly feminist theatre. And I came across her when I was working uh, in Bury St Edmunds at the, the Theatre Royal because our periods coincided. So um, my expertise ended up being in 18th century English theatre. And she, she's something of an authority. Yeah. So, yeah, no, she... Um, we both, we both started on the bill. Yeah,
0: and she's superb in that episode. Yeah, no, she, she's she really got actress. under the skin yeah. of that character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 it was very, very fiery performance. There's more gold dust to come in part two of Colin's podcast, which will be coming soon. And if you'd like to read even more from a great man, you can do so in my book, Witness Statements, Making the Bill, series one to three. Limited copies signed by me are available for international shipping from devonfire.bigcartel.com. 192 pages of memories from 40 contributors for every episode, including Woodentop, plus 20 previously unpublished photographs as well as selected viewing figures. That's devonfire.bigcartel.com. Thank you so much for your support. I'll see you again soon. Bye for now.